0: Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds to give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engines so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. This September has been a crazy month of traveling. Uh, I've gone to three conferences, our event, the Planet Microcap Showcase Vancouver, just got back from Ian Castle's Microcap Club Leadership Summit. By the way, so much fun and great to meet so many listeners and thank truly thank you all uh, for the kind words about the pod and appreciate you tuning in. And I was also recently asked to speak at the Precious Metal Summit in between both of those events. So on the quick trip to Beaver Creek, I like I said, I had the opportunity to moderate a panel titled uh, Tools for the Modern Junior Mining Investor. Thank you again to the Leventhal family, Misha and Jessica, for hosting me and for the chance to speak with Tavi, Emily, and Steven for a great conversation about the state of the junior mining market, as well as these tools for the modern junior mining investor. We cover everything here at Planet Microcap, and I was grateful to be in person to get firsthand accounts and sentiment in the space. Thank you again for tuning into the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my interview with Tavi Costa, Emily King, and Steven Dijon. Welcome to the Precious Metals Summit, Beaver Creek, and to our panel here today. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. I host a podcast called Planet Microcap, uh, which is all about educating the next generation of investors how to invest in microcap stocks. We're very generalist in nature, but you know, uh, actually some of my first conferences I ever went to were mining, so I uh, always love supporting some of the best mining events out there, and I think we can all agree Precious Metals is number one. So having said all that, our panel that we're doing here today is the tools for the modern mic mining investor. Joining me on this panel for this topic, we have Steven DeJong, co-founder and CEO of Verify. Stephen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Emily King, founder of Prospector Portal. Hi everyone. And Tavi Costa, uh, partner and macro strategist at Crestcat Capital thanks for having me all right well um firstly thank you all for being here and again thank you to the leventals for having us here uh to do this panel and before we get into some topics and straight away you know for those of you that may not know each of our panelists up here can we get everyone's quick background and a couple lines about you and your firm so let's start with you Stephen.
1: Uh, Steve Dejong. So uh, my I first came into the industry in 2008. I was the CEO of a company called Integra Gold from 2012 to 2017. and That's sort of where I cut my teeth in the industry. Uh, on the back of that company being acquired in 2017, started a company uh, with my business partner George Salamis called Verify Technology. And it's a technology we actually built in-house as, as um, executives of a company out there trying to raise money, meet with investors, communicate um, all of that. What Verify Technology is, is we're a pr- uh, live presentation, interactive presentation platform for the mining industry. So if you see a bunch of people at this uh, conference or are up on stage with iPads, running around using iPads and meeting, connecting those together and using 3D models um, and virtual site visits and other things like that in live presentations, that's what we do.
2: Uh, I'm Emily, I'm a geologist by background, so don't hold that against me for any of the engineers in the room. Uh, I have a kind of a non-traditional background in the industry. I ran a mining exploration program for the US Pentagon in Afghanistan for several years. And after you do that, you don't go back to a desk job. Um, So I became an entrepreneur, Uh, started Prospector in March of 2020, right before COVID hit everything. But basically I was sick of going on CDAR looking for technical reports. So the first iteration of Prospector was you know, a searchable CDAR, essentially. But we've grown a lot past that. If you are a public company in the mining industry, we have all of your data. And it is uh, viewed by all of our subscribers, um, most of whom are investors. And we've got a booth right out there if you'd like to kind of check it out. Super easy to use. And we try to help make sure that good capital gets to good projects with a super neutral uh, research tool.
0: Okay, hey, Tavi, real quick. For those who are sick of CDAR, then you must be really sick of CDAR Plus then right now.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if we've got any. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that for later. We'll save that for later. <laughs> it late. was right. supposed to be an upgrade, All and right. yet somehow we, we always joke that like, the old CDAR was the best website you could build in 1996, and they just <laughs> stopped, and CDAR Plus is, yeah, yeah it might be. an improvement.
3: Absolutely. Tavi? Um, I run Kreska Capital uh, with uh, Kevin Smith and Quentin Henney. Uh We run three hedge funds, a Global Macro, a Long Short, and the Precious Metals Fund. The Precious Metals Fund has a lot of electrification metals, too. So a lot of the companies that are in this uh, conference are part of our portfolio, too. Um, I have a very large focus on macro in general, but a lot of my research uh, goes towards resource industries as well. So uh,
0: I guess that's my background all right very cool guys so the first topic is kind of the state of the the mining markets junior mining in particular last last year at this time we were talking about and kind of the negative sentiment amongst the junior mining industry you know i would argue i don't, I don't say much has really changed uh, we'll ask the crowd a little bit later but you know just using kind of the the, the van junior gold miners etf gdxj it's basically flat in a in this last year, maybe up slightly, looking at the one-year charge since I last hosted the panel here. So let's start with that. love to get everybody's take on the current state of the mining industry and junior mining industry. Do you think sentiment has improved, declined, stayed the same, and why? So Tavi, you want to kick us off with that?
3: Yeah, I think sentiment's still very bearish overall in the mining, uh, metals and mining. It's been that way for a while, as you said. Um, in terms of spending as I've uh, done some research on this, certainly we're seeing differences between uh, when it comes to aggregate capex of the the major companies, the top 10 companies in in the industry versus the bottom 40, um, where the spending, capital spending, is already at 2011 levels in the bottom 40. So you see more aggressive, um, certainly, uh, capex programs relative to the top 10 companies where uh, we're not seeing the same m um, and a s starting to occur, um, certainly, but uh, things are way too bearish. Um, I would say that overall media we're in the process of redefining conventional sort of traditional portfolios of so called sixty forties um, i 've been a firm believer we 're going to see a large shift towards that forty percent where you have you know low volatility, low downside volatility in general, but also protection during recessions coming out of treasuries into gold um, and that should be very helpful for the overall mining industry i I think we're very close to seeing some big um, moves in, in, in precious metals and silver is very close to a major breakout. Gold is at a triple top level, um, so you know I think this this sort of sentiment is um, not in line with the expectation that we have of what likely will occur here in the next uh, you know call it a year or so.
0: Emily.
2: I would say there just seems to be this huge disconnect because finally people are talking about mining and that mining's important. Critical minerals, critical supply chains, right? Domestic investment in a lot of countries, certainly here in the US, like finally mining is in like the regular newspaper. And yet there doesn't seem to be any more money going into it. And I mean, that's just kind of what I, in general, am hearing is like there's a disconnect between the chatter and the interest level. And actual capital coming into the space, I think, is the biggest trend I hear and see.
0: Well, quick follow up to that. I mean, do you, if, if you had to ask yourself, you know, why is that?
2: Mm-hmm. I think because all these people who are interested, first of all, still don't, they haven't gotten educated on the industry, so you do have a lot of non-traditional people starting to pay attention to the space, but when they start to try to go down the due diligence path, (laughs) it's new, right? So it takes longer, they're not used to the different types of things they need to look at, Um, and folks in the industry aren't used to talking to those investors as well, I would say, so it just takes a lot longer and they end up backing out or going into projects that maybe aren't the best fit for what they're trying to do because of the communication and their ability to do due diligence in a way that they're used to. Um, Again, having spent a lot of time in DC, I think that's the other thing is people are trying to figure out from a regulatory perspective in the US, like, okay, is the DOD and the DOE, are they actually going to put money into these projects? Or what does it mean for trying to build a mine in the US or other countries? And that has not really been clear, I would say. So I think there's a lot of confusion around that side.
0: I think we're gonna come back to a few of those rabbit holes in a minute here. But Stephen, love to get your take as
1: well. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it feels like a bit of a time warp. I'm, I'm sure we've all had a whole bunch of conversations where you, you see people and you haven't seen them for six months or so in the industry. And it's like, hey, how are you? How are things? Well, you know the market. And you kind of look at each other and talk about how the market It's There's a bit of camaraderie in there, but at the same time, it is kind of depressing. My my take is it's the exact same it was a year ago. And I agree with all of Emily's points. Like. I don't think there's ever been a better backdrop um, when we look at sort of the green metals, whether it's sort of the, the renewable transition. Uh, when I ran a gold company, I'd start in 2012. A week after I started, gold hit $1,900, and it was a five-year, essentially, downtrend, and I always thought if we could ever just make it back to anywhere close to $1,900 again, then it would just be euphoric, and, and investors would throw money at us, and our stock prices would go through the moon, and now we're all here depressed at $1,900. Um, so I, I actually think, so so where we go from here, I actually think that like the backdrop, the, if you look at government spending sort of generalist interest in the sector and all these things, it has never been stronger and there's never been a bigger opportunity for the sector today, but that doesn't mean like they're all going to get off, um, everyone's going to get off their ass and, and go buy a bunch of junior mining stocks tomorrow. There's a big gap that happens between these and right now the industry is kind of in the I guess we've always had that Mr. Market comes along every three to five years and saves us. So we haven't really had to teach ourselves anything in, in how we change and and, and how, how we fill that gap. And and right now it's sort of like the best foot forward is here's do you like a Tesla? Here's a picture of some rocks. Do you wanna invest in my company? And we need to kind of we need to take the next step and take advantage of this opportunity when there is actually interest and money and sort of just a bit of a groundswell towards the sector and take advantage of that and um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that. But
0: Well, that's a perfect segue, actually. Let's go into that because, you know, one of the things that we wanted to cover today is that, you know, uh, any, any kind of discussion around junior mining and mining in general, there's always this disconnect right now um, amongst non-traditional capital that's now looking at the space. You know, uh, what would you say is the answer to help bridge that gap? I mean, that's something that we started that conversation last year on this panel. So you guys are providing new perspectives. So I'd love to hear what you think will help bridge that gap.
1: Sure, you want me to start? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think if I had the answer, I wouldn't be here. I'd probably be in a jet somewhere. Um, I think we, like at at Verify, we're doing a lot of work to try and figure out what that is. Um, I don't think we have it yet. Um, But I think, again, it's... Having spent a, a, the, the better part of my career with a suitcase full of PowerPoints trying to convince people to invest in our company and now sort of being quasi on the other side of that but still involved, um, there's just a lot of behaviors that we, that we create as, as presenters and pitchers and promoters of this industry. And it's not because when you look at sort of the success of any given company, you have geology, you have sort of potential for discovery, and when discovery is made, it's sort of a completely... Um, disproportionate gains that come from that, and then you had the general market, and you have all of these things, and it's really hard to correlate sort of, how, is, how are you doing communicating versus these sort of macro trends as, as you as an individual? And if there wasn't that disconnect, I think you'd have to, you'd be held much more accountable to how you communicate as a company, but I think now is the time when we have the opportunity to actually kind of take a step back and look at how we present and how we communicate. I don't think it's as simple as like generalist investors like batteries, and we should tell them stuff goes into batteries that comes from the ground and they should invest. I, I'm a big believer that we need to sort of take more of a first principles approach, like forget every way that we've presented, whether it's PowerPoints or showing rocks or geology or drill holes and how we write press releases and everything else, and just take a step back and just look, have conversations with general investors about how they think and how they operate, and then kind of build out from there. We just went through a raise for our tech company. It's a private tech company, and raising company for private tech could not be more different than raising, raising money for kind of public junior mining. And it's fascinating to go through. I thought I was really good at raising money. Then I tried raising money for private tech in a downturn. And it's, it's, my hair wasn't quite this gray a year ago. Um, it's really hard, but, it, but going through it, I learned I had to completely, after 10 years of pitching and promoting mining stocks, had to completely reframe how I present my company. And it's not only it's different sort of, I used to sit in meetings and write down acronyms because I don't know what any of the tech acronyms are um, and then go research them afterwards. But you just have to uh, reinvent yourself almost. And I think that's the process that we need to go through. And, And I say we collectively as the industry because I think if we do that effectively, there's a big opportunity for generalists to come in. It's not as simple as like create Twitter accounts and just start tweeting. It's actually thinking about like, what is the content that these people need to digest to understand what we do. And I personally, I think it's more of an educational process first. And the end result of that will ultimately be, yes, I want to invest in the sector. The last thing I'll say to that is spending the last year literally just pitching tech investors who know nothing about junior mining exploration. They're absolutely fascinated by our sector. Like the fact we go public when we have like a piece of grass somewhere. Like there's, there, our industry is actually really fascinating, but in in my view, we're kind of focusing on the wrong things. And there's like to to bridge that gap, if we can do that effectively, there is like we're sitting at probably like one or two percent of the world invests in our sector, and if that goes to three or four percent, that's going to be an absolute game changer for us. So there's no actual answer in that.
0: <laughs> well, just to maybe add something uh, that in speaking with generalist investors that that I've seen in covering the mining space now since well going to all these conferences now since 2011 and, and precious metals for the last you know, 10 or so years, and then also on the general side, is that there's this feeling that they want to better understand the end goal, right? Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's kind of been coming out over the last couple of years where it's like, I want to better understand what's going on with this junior minor and, and whatnot, but I, I don't really, okay, I know you're going to be drilling in the next year, I know you're probably going to have to do some kind of financing that might dilute me if I'm a retail investor within the next year. And I can live with that if I better understand what your plans are for the next three to five years, yeah. right? Because that's really what, for the most part, our audience are long-term investors. You know, so Emily, love to get your take as well.
2: Yeah, I think, unfortunately, too often in the mining space, we brief assets instead of companies, right? Which, as a geologist, I love an ore body slide right? Love them, love the drilling data. But I think most non-traditional mining investors, I always encourage folks to combine like the data that an investor can actually absorb. Like what are their questions? Ask them before you data dump, right? What is the data they actually want to know? And then story tell. Because I think that's the part that, unfortunately, there is, again, this disconnect because our industry is really cool and made up of a lot of characters (laughs) who do really crazy stuff all over the world. Like, we have adventure, basically treasure hunting, in a sense, right? I mean, it really is cool what our industry does, especially the juniors and the explorers. And that oftentimes doesn't come across, I think, in the way that we talk about what we're doing. But I think, to your point you know, brief the company, the vision of the company. Um, the, The project is just one asset that the company has and tell your story. Why are you excited about this specific area? What brought you there, right? What does this look like in five, 10, 15 years if what you think is there is actually there? And again, I think... Um, and focus on your people. That's also like a really underutilized asset of the company, I think, when you're talking to non-traditional investors. They always want to understand who's in the company, who's driving this, right? And, uh, yeah, and it's, again, I think putting your people more visibly out front as part of the company and not, again, just focusing on the technical parts of the asset.
0: That and probably insider ownership. I think that's probably the number one thing I get back from generalists like this, They own how much percent of this guy? And sure, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of junior mining companies where, you know, it's, it's hired CEOs. They're not founding CEOs, so we get it. You know, but that, you know...
2: One of the things that we added into Prospector, like if you any of you go out and look on your company page, like we added in management and directors because a lot of non-traditional investors, they want to see who is connected with this company and how many other junior miners is that same person on the board of or a CFO of, right? And it's not a bad thing, but they want to understand those connections because there is this perception that there's a game out there right? And, and I think you and have to address that.
0: And salary pay, right? With all due respect, like someone was making 500000 a year, and they just did a $2 million financing. It's like,
2: okay. Like,
0: cool. Uh, Tavi, your thoughts? Thoughts <clears throat> thoughts on general and then mining?
3: Yes. Um, look, I, I I, think, you know, it's it's quite interesting as far as what's happening when it comes to, I mean, I, I come from a different perspective, because um, running a fund, you know, we're talking to a lot of institutions, and trying to understand what they are looking for. <clears throat> and uh, my understanding is, is just, you know, the focus has been, you know, we've been through a, a period of disinflation uh, where interest rates have been declining for so many decades and uh, it shifted the focus a little bit towards technology and other things. Um, do I think that that's gonna be the long term? No, I, don't. I think ultimately we'll go back to hard assets, ultimately we'll go back to industries. Um, and interestingly, a lot of the companies that we own today, in terms of valuations, are back to levels prior to discovery holes. And um, you know, this is a market I haven't seen in, in, a, I guess in a long time. Um, it is a great opportunity. A lot of companies are priced for failure right now. If you're running, as I always say, a, a hybrid venture capital approach of, of always you know, taking risk on exploration, which is where most of the billionaires in the industry made their money. I think I think that's the way to uh to really accomplish a lot of things right now. We you know we're lacking discoveries, we're lacking capital spent on on new things in general and uh uh you know that's been the focus of Graskett, really focus on um you know what are the prolific areas that we think are going to become new discoveries and potentially uh be the large investors of those. You know, we've had a few um but I think you know to bring that generalist uh, still there is a, a sense of, of, especially from younger investors, in my opinion, of unrealistic expectations from returns, and knowing that we've had such a, a difficult period of time in terms of returns in the mining industry, it's, hard, it's just a hard pitch. <laughs> it's, in general, it's just going to be very difficult to bring those guys into this industry. Uh, with you know, Even if you look at undergrads and grad, graduate students' um, you know, interest in, in geosciences, we've been in a secular decline, so um, how do we expect that people would be um, understanding uh, geology in general if if they're not even you know interested in, in studying those those uh, fields over time? I think that's going to be uh um, you know I, I think that's an opportunity. You know how many fields you have where you know it's one of the oldest industries we have in history. Um, if we do have this backdrop of hard assets going up in prices, things can get very attractive very quickly. So you know, be you know, be greedy when others are fearful. And I think this has uh, been the case for the last three to four years. And as you said, the backdrop has never been better. You know, all you need is this breakout on gold and things change. I've never seen a gold cycle develop without a commodity cycle developing. And so, um, you know, this is an inflationary regime. I think it's unmistakably one. Um, there are so many forces, deglobalization, inequality issues, uh, wage price spiral. Um, there is you know, the, the chronic underinvestments in, in natural resources, reckless fiscal spending. That has to create you know, this upper pressure in consumer prices that eventually drives you back to hard assets. And so you know, I, I try to not be focused in this kind of pessimism because it's, uh, it's time to be busy and not, not
0: the other way around. Well, Tavi, to come right back to you. You know, right now, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've had criteria that works for multiple different environments, but currently September 2023, what is some of your key criteria right now when you're evaluating different projects out there? So we, you know, we've done a lot of research on this, trying to understand
3: what's the ultimate value of everything. Obviously, it comes down to grade and, and scalability and jurisdiction of an area that has, been, uh, has seen some development of a mine in the past. But, you know, at the end of the day, what you want is understanding that the value of a project usually is about 20% of the value of minerals in the ground. Obviously, that will depend on CapEx of each of those uniqueness of those projects. Uh, But over time, the average, and this is looking at bull markets, uh, bear markets, neutral markets, and understanding what's the acquisition price relative to what they had in the ground at that time. And so... If you had a bull market, you can see 30, 40, 50, 70 percent. There was cases of 70 percent acquisition of the mineral in the ground. That's how much people start speculating in a bull market. If you get it in the bear market, you can get below 10 percent or so. A lot of the companies that we own, um, you know, in our probability approach of looking at things, we try to see all right, how, many, how much resources we think we can get here, how much we have today, how much can we grow. And what's that 20% of that? And then we apply other things to be more conservative. Uh, Applying that, it's it's absurd. It's so asymmetric that I've never seen an opportunity like this. And so what allows you is that as everything is priced for failure, um, good and bad stories, it's, it's really interesting because you can, again, you know, if you, if you find the experts that can help you to find those geology, uh, good stories that are backed by good geology in general, um, that can potentially become, you know, your, your big winner. And we've had a few in our portfolio and I, I think we can have a lot of those
0: over the future. Very cool. Thank you for that. So, now coming to you, Emily, you know, and. It, this can be a full-on pitch for Prospector Portal. I, I don't mind. But everything that what Tavi just said, how does that translate for the average investor? Let's say they were go, go on to Prospector Portal and say, all right, I like Tavi. I think, he's got, I, I think he knows what he's talking about a little bit. How do I utilize Prospector Portal to then filter out, okay, these are the projects that he's kind of looking at, and then I can then do my deeper dive due diligence?
2: So what we find really interesting is that actually the people that sign up to use Prospector, and it's everyone from the M&A teams and the biggest mining companies that we have globally to retail investors to family offices, high net worth individuals, um, they actually don't search for projects that way, right? And we don't have any analysis or recommendations, letter writer content, any of that on our platform because they want to actually just see the data of how much does the company say they have? And the, what people typically do, and it's really interesting because you can see on the back end, right, what people click on. What do they search for? How do they interact with the, the data? And they search by country, commodity, um, and stage, right? That's typically what people go in, and that's why we build it so you can easily just kind of filter. Um, that's really how most folks, if they're, especially if they're new to the industry, how they enter into looking for a project that they're interested in. And they do typically look at the project level first and then look to see the company, which is I think counterintuitive to what we oftentimes think. Like you're gonna look for a company that has a certain stock price and a float and the management team, right? Um, But in fact, when people go in and they have the opportunity to look at the data, They get interested in, like, the area that it's in, right? And all of our stuff is up on, like, a spinny Google Earth globe, right? And people use it. They love to zoom in and see where is the project and tap on it and what's around it, right? People these days love interactive. (laughs) Now it's a pitch for Verify. But, um, you know, I mean, people like to interact with data because we're all walking around with phones and iPads and you're used to look for a restaurant and you see where the parking lot is next to it, right? That's how we look at data. So it's actually a little different than you would think. Um, Again, it's it's country, commodity, and stage. And that's kind of how they come in.
0: Quick question. I think I might know the answer, but maybe this is a potential tool to add to the, the portal. I mean, is there a filter for use of proceeds on financings that, you know, go into the ground percentage versus G&A?
2: No, but we pull all of our data. By the way, we don't scrape. We don't take any of your data. We pull it all from public disclosure documents. Got it. So if if there's content in your quarterly, annuals, press releases, like the the folks can find it in there. Um, but no, we keep it to resources and reserves. Um, your life of mine plan, if you have one. Um, we have a little NPV calculator tool that people love, where they can kind of adjust your assumptions and. See how things fluctuate. But uh, no, they'd have to go into the actual disclosure documents to see that kind of stuff. And again, it's we try to walk a user through the data at the level that they're interested in. And again, they really start with the kind of technical basic fundamentals of the assets.
0: For sure. I would I would love to see that tool, by the way. I, th- and we have I think a lot th- right out there. Yeah. Okay, all right. Good. Well, it, Stephen, similar question, right? You know, like we said, you just heard all the criteria that Tavi put out there, you know, what, you know, quality investor looks for in junior mining right now. You know, how is Verify utilizing its capabilities to help bridge that gap for the generalist retail investor, even folks that are in mining that are selling,
1: I don't totally understand that, but, you know, maybe this video will help uh, me. Yeah, I think I'm, I might back it up a little bit before I say anything about Verify. I think, like, why do, why do people invest in the sector in general? And I think we, we tend to, and when I say we, I often mean like the, the companies themselves and the executive teams and the people making the presentations and in charge of the communication strategy and so on. We tend to focus on, like everyone's seen the pitch deck. Here's my management team with 200 years combined experience. Kind of here's how much ownership we have. It's, it's, it's very, there's 2,500 companies in the sector and with it's quite, you could kind of put them all up against each other. Um, I think we're all kind of using the same advisor to create them. Like, at Verify, we have 60 employees, and, and most of them don't have experience, a lot of them don't have experience in capital markets mining, so often when we hire an employee, we'll often say, well, um, first day, go to 10 websites and look at 10 company pitch decks and tell us tell us what you think. And every single time, 100%, they come back and say, I have no idea what any of this means. And all of that is this, this this sort of barrier. So kind of before we get to any of that stuff, like, why do people invest? I'll use the crypto market as an example. Like, I'm not a crypto investor. I was sort of, when the crypto market was booming, I was sitting running a, a junior gold company. But I started to invest in the crypto market. And the only reason I did that, and I'm a big believer sort of, before any of these, the, the business fundamentals, management team and quality of assets and resources and grams per ton and all these things, people invest because they want to make money. Our sector specifically for outsized returns. They do it because of FOMO. For the Craigs out there, that's fear of missing out. Um, they do it because they don't want someone else having something that they don't have. It's human nature. And they do it because they have an emotional connection to something. And when I invested in crypto, it was literally just because a bunch of friends of mine, high school friends of mine, were all investing in crypto, and they were all making stupid money, and I just wanted to as well. It's, and what happens is they all start kind of have this narrative of, well, crypto is going to replace gold, and it's the new currency, and global banks are going to fail. What they're doing is, is often backfilling the decision that was made, the emotional the decision that was made which was entirely based on um, an emotional reaction to crypto is going to, it's $10 today, might be worth $1,000 tomorrow. And we as an industry saw that and we said, oh, well, gold, here's why gold is better than crypto and so on. But we're kind of attacking, we're not attacking the root of the problem with that. Like, how do you create an emotional connection with what we do in the sector so people can look at it and say, I don't want to miss out on the sector. I I, I want these outsized returns for myself. And I, I think that's what, when we look at how we approach this from a and, and kind of staying true to the theme of this discussion like from a generalist investor, so much of the so much of the, the discussions we have and so on are kind of going to step two of the conversation it 's almost like we 've just made this assumption that people are ready to do their due diligence and, and dig into all the other things we haven 't taken a step back and sort of asked the questions, going over to the verify side. Again, when you see a lot of people presenting with iPads, it's not because you can now bring your leapfrog model into, a, into an investor pitch. And there's a lot of people that I would say use Verify and it ends up having almost a negative impact because you're bringing all of super complex technical information into someone who doesn't need it. The most powerful thing about presenting digitally is when you sit in a room and you have three iPads or computers connected together, instead of you just puking information that you have to do with PowerPoint because everyone's sort of on this linear path to flip through their slides and it's really frustrating if it kind of, someone's on page three and you're on page two and you really want to make a point but it's hidden on the bottom of page nine. There's something about being able to have that conversation and instead of a presentation, it's more of a conversation where you get to say, what do you, what do you want to get out of the next 20 minutes? Like, what are you hoping to hear from me? Because my job here is to convince you to invest in my company. But... You might be a generalist. You might be an a, a institutional manager, a, general, a generalist institutional fund manager. You might be a specialist. You might be a corporate. You might be someone trying to sell me something. The, the, the most powerful thing, and I th- don't think we do this enough as an industry, is we don't just listen. We, we don't stop and listen to our investors. We sort of get on our, our one-track um, mind of, of how we pitch our stories and so on, whereas it's extremely, extremely insightful when you say, like, what do you want to get out of this? And what would, what would help me convince you or kind of walk you through? What are the most important parts? Sometimes they'll say, just, you tell me you're the boss. Other times they'll say, actually, I know the management. I know this. Let's, let's jump over to here and, and talk about this part of your story. And what you're doing is you're actually listening to them to find out what's going to happen. Like, people are really open, and they'll give you these answers, but we actually have to stop and, and, and listen to them. And I think as a whole, if we start doing that more and more, we're going to start to see this sort of transition from how we present ourselves in an industry today to something that is naturally just more um, digestible from the, general, uh, from the general public. And I think it's actually going to be really impactful, not just for generalist investors, but for institutional and specialists and, and corporates and, and everyone else as well.
0: Very good. All right. Well, we got about seven minutes. So I wanted to have one closing question before we open it up to Q&A. So let's say, you know, okay, we're doing this panel again next year, uh, this time in 2024, um, where I'm sure we'll be talking about presidential elections and stuff like that. That'll probably be the whole panel. But, you know, on the junior mining side, you know, if you had to look out, you know, a year from now, we're coming back all together again. You know, what if you had to put a crystal ball to it, we're not asking anybody to make an accurate prediction. But what do you think a year from now that you can expect to say here on this panel? So, uh, Stephen, let's start with you, and then we'll come
1: back this way. Yeah, God, I hope it's not the same, uh, the same conversations about the state of the industry. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think... Same sentiment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a broken record. I say this every year. But I, I do think there is sort of a groundswell to interest in our sector. And I think if we can capitalize on that, it's going to be a very different sector a year from now.
2: Okay. Emily? I'm going to manifest. We're all going to make bajillions of dollars. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's, Love a good yeah, manifestation. Right? Yeah. All right. No, I think I have a sense with all the activity that's going on and the chatter, I think we'll have at least one massive discovery in the next year that I think will get people energized and excited and draw a lot of attention to the space. I, I really do think that there's so much, it's a totally different kind of technology, but there's so much cool stuff going on on the predictive AI side, like with discovery tools and so much new stuff with sensor data integration and everything. I really think we're going to have kind of like a, a you know, top, of the, top of the line in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal discovery story that will get people really excited by next year.
0: Quick follow-up, where?
2: Well, since I know where all of the projects are globally and who's doing what, I'm going to keep that information for myself. (laughs) 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 But if you sign up for Prospector.
0: Tavi? Uh,
3: I'll try to give more of a macro answer to that. Um, I think we're in the process of somewhat of uh, uh, bottoming of of inflation personally. Uh, Look through history. uh, Inflation develops through waves. I think we're We've seen the first wave. I think we're in the process of uh, of that to uh, to reemerge. In a sense, of energy prices is starting to rise. You're starting to see agricultural commodities, um, a lot of things have really reset. It's just mostly because of the uh, just math, the the, the side effects of, uh, of of where prices were a year ago. And um, I think we're, that itself is is going to be uh, changing the way we've been pricing in in the curve in terms of. Uh, what the Federal Reserve is likely to do, which is, in my view, um, going to create a, a little bit more, not only rates are going to get longer for, uh, or higher for longer, uh, but, but I think that this tightening of monetary conditions are going to be more pronounced in six months or so. And uh, if that's the case, as inflation comes back, we're going to see some change in correlations that are going to be very important. This is going to be, in my view, very similar to the stagflationary environment behavior that we had in the 70s, where natural resources actually rally uh, as the market suffers. And this is why we've been so focused in, uh, in these industries. I personally really like metals and mining. I think that's where most of the opportunities lie ahead, just because of where valuations are. Uh, that is not to say energy doesn't look attractive. I think energy and uh, other parts of even agricultural commodities. But given the fact that it takes so long for the supply issues to get resolved, um, you know I think that' that 's what attracts me the most. I remember first getting to the space in terms of uh, of getting excited not first time but but more getting more excited from a macro perspective back in two thousand and eighteen with a different kind of overview i 've heard all the bug you know the gold bug mentality and and, and that whole thesis, but to me really uh, what was the first time was was really looking at capital spending cycle of resource industries when i looked at that to me it was very clear that we were, could be potentially at a turn uh, we've seen a turn in in energy we haven't seen a real turn in other parts of the commodity cycle yet which is the metals and mining uranium has started to move uh but you never know what that trigger really is what you have is kind of the underlying factors are becoming more and more pronounced the inflation wasn't the case in two thousand and eighteen as as it is today we didn't see the same deglobalization intensification that we've had over the last you know twelve months. Uh, inequality issues have only got worse after COVID, uh, which I think it's causing kind of a wage price spiral, mostly from lower income classes. Housing market wasn't so much an issue four years ago. And clear, clearly, I think that's gonna be more and more of a discussion. There's a reason why Warren Buffett owns home builders. Um, I think we're gonna see uh, you know, a, a building boom in residential market. Uh, manufacturing, that wasn't something we were talking about before, which is the whole thing about reshoring. That's all over the news now. Um, and all those aspects, but there's one more that I think it's you know I think it speaks to the lack of understanding of inflationary regimes in policymakers has to do with fiscal spending. You know, even if you take there was a good article on Wall Street Journal the other day, basically saying the fiscal spend not a good article. It's actually the other way around. But a fiscal spending is not stimulative to the economy because majority of it's going to interest payments. That's not true. It's only about 10 percent or so is going to interest payments about if you, if you exclude that and you looked at relative to GDP, we're spending about 25% of that. Uh, and, you know, looking back in history, we've never seen any level of, of government spending that we're seeing today. That is extremely stimulative. Um, and so, you know, you go to the mall and other places, people are spending money still. It's not like we're seeing a recession of 08 or anything like that. So that will play along with this reacceleration of inflation, in my opinion, that will cause more tightening And then at some point, we're going to see some sort of more stagflationary behavior in the market Um, and that, you know, that redefining moment of that conventional portfolios of 60-40s, which, by the way, I'll put out research this week or so, that portfolio itself has never been more expensive. Uh, Just in 2021, we reached the highest valuations in 130 years. Um, You know, this is the first time in history that gold um, uh, is actually less volatile than treasuries. Uh, on a seven year downside volatility. Um, and I'll, I'll show those charts later. But it's, you know, those changes are already happening between central banks, right? Central banks are already accumulating gold over time. That is the first shift. After that, we see those 60, 40 portfolios kind of redefining their, their own conventional ways of allocating capital. And I think that that's going to have an impact in the resource space as well. So I'm bullish on that. I'm bullish on emerging markets that have are very favorable in those commodities, and I think it's going to be a great place to be invested in the next five to 10 years.
0: That's how you bring the hammer down on a uh, panel right there. So thank you, Tom. So we got 30 seconds. I don't know, do we have time for one question or one question from the audience? Brent. Yeah, so uh, we've been talking about new people, new money coming into the sector. I'd actually be curious out of the audience here, how many are here for the first time? say it's about about half right
2: welcome oh my max also terrible
0: so all right that's a good that's a great place to end it so thank you for that question can everybody real quick uh because we're going to be putting us on on my podcast stream give more information where people can find your
1: respective businesses and follow you on social media steven yeah verify technology and it's v-r-i-f-y there's no enid in it verify.com um you can find us there very cool. Yeah, we're it.
2: a ProspectorPortal.com, and we're super active on LinkedIn, Instagram, Threads, Twitter. All, or no, you don't call threads? it that anymore. Threads. That's the right, that's okay. the Instagram version of X, right? We call it now. Yeah, all I'm, that stuff. Oh, I'm, I'm. no Snapchat. <laughs> well, no, actually, we are. We're on I, Jess. Jess out there can. Yeah, we are on Snapchat and all these. <laughs> I have to ask all the youngins what all the things we're on. Yeah. Fair enough.
3: Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tavi Costa, but also if you uh, want to know more about Crescat, I suggest you to go to our website, Crescat.net, and uh, there's all information about funds. And if you like research letters and uh, boring macro analysis, go there. It's, it's all there. Thanks. Cool.
0: All right. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you. Thanks, everyone.
0: podcast.